As I mentioned before, we're going to continue on um, talking about a kingdom person going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll be in Matthew 7 tonight, but I'd like to just, as we're nearing the end of this series, as we're nearing the end of uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount on these Sunday evenings, uh, soon Pastor Phil will be back and to talk about the uh, prophet, priest, and king, and I will be back with the teenagers. And But I'd like to go through and just kind of review what we have been going through um, in the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus comes and declares the kingdom. He's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, and we can read that in Matthew 4. 4. And he goes and he sits down and teaches. He goes on to an, a mountain, a hill, and begins to speak. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And we see that in the beginning in Matthew 5, that Jesus goes through the Beatitudes. He goes through what the description of the characteristics of a kingdom person is. He then continues on at talking about how we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. That as he was bridging between the Beatitudes and these uh, description of salt and light, he talked about how we are going to be reviled against. We're going to be persecuted. And people will utter all kinds of evil things against us falsely on Christ's account. But instead, we're, instead of moping or being upset or reviling evil back with evil, we're to rejoice and be glad, for our reward is great in heaven. And so he begins to talk about the relationship between the kingdom and heaven, that the kingdom indeed is the, the, the place and the dwelling place of the king of kings, the lord of lords. And so that there will be a great reward in heaven for being persecuted for Christ's namesake. And then he continues on to say that we're, we have a substance. There's a substance of a kingdom person. That the essence of our being is changed. And that we're salt of the earth. That um, we, are not to, we don't lose our saltiness, but instead we affect those who are around and then we're the light of the world. We're to be doing our good works so that people will bring glory to the Father in heaven. And so he went from characteristics, looking inward, to then how are we to interact with the world. Because there's a big difference between those in the world and those in the kingdom. And he brought in a contrast between those who are not in the kingdom, these people who are self-righteous, the people who are not poor in spirit, who do not mourn, who do not have meekness, but instead are proud. Those who have their own righteousness, their own um, self-works, and their, they value what they do, and they look at their reward, that their only reward is that, that getting human uh, gratification or human um, people applauding them. So 
Christ then went in and talked about how he was the one that was perfect, and he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, that he was the righteous one. He was declaring that he himself is the righteous one. And then he went in to talk about how even though there's Pharisees, those of the world, those who are hypocrites, who have this outward righteousness that they say that, look, I keep the law, but all of the law is kept on the outside, and it's not done in love, and it's not done from the heart. So he goes and breaks down. You've heard it taught. You've heard it said before. And he goes through some of the commandments that we shall not murder and we shall not commit adultery and that we shall not bear false witness. And he goes and he brings these out and shows that sin indeed comes from the heart rather than just outward, um, outward actions. And then he continues on to say and, and summarize the law as it was summarized later on in his teachings that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. That by loving our neighbors, we are fulfilling the law that we won't commit murder, we won't have adultery, we won't steal, we won't uh, bear false witness. But instead, we're to overcome evil with good. And that was the law of the kingdom person. Then we continued on in Matthew 6, as Christ was to bring in that your reward is in heaven. He began to talk about this righteousness that people are outwardly showing. He showed that their sin comes from the heart, but so does the, the, the intentions of the heart show that God can see the heart, but man looks on the outward. So he begins Matthew 6 with, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So we talked about the works of a kingdom person. And those works indeed were actually a fellowship between us and the king, between us and the father. That it is worship, they're acts of worship, rather than, um, chari- that rather than good deeds per se. And so he went in and talked about giving alms, not to make it known or to um, have self-fulfillment by giving um, goods, giving alms and giving to the needy, whether it's in the temple or whether it was out on the streets, on the street corners. And then he went into prayer. That prayer was taught about, it was about speaking to our Father in heaven. It was about a personal relationship between us and the Father, rather than being heard by others. And of course, we looked at the Pharisee and the tax collector, how the Pharisee put himself out front and said, I thank God that I am this way. And he went and he listed all of his righteous deeds. But then the man in the back, who was the tax collector, couldn't even look up and he beat his chest, saying, Have mercy on me, O God. So, Christ continued to talk about these works and that if we do them in secret, not to be seen by others, that the Father who is in secret, the Father who is not seen, will give us a reward in heaven. And he continues on to talk about fasting and giving up things 
to have a submission to the body, that we're not doing this to find pity on other people or look more righteous than other people, but instead we're doing this for uh, to, to have control over our bodies and our urges and come closer to the Father. And so if we do this and we make ourselves look like we're not fasting, we put oil on our head and we um, stand upright, and what we do in secret will be seen by our Father who sees what is in secret, and he will reward us. Then we continued on to talk about the treasures of a kingdom person. And Christ began with this section talking about where your treasure lies, your heart lies also. And he exhorts us to store up and not store up things that are in heaven, to set our affections on things above, to set our affections on heavenly things, the good thing, the spiritual things, to value the things that are gifts of God rather than the things that are temporary, that will corrupt, the things that will rust, the things that will be eaten away by moths. But instead we're to look to what God has given us and not to trust. And we went over the, the foolish rich man who thought he was going to store up all of his riches because he had no care in the world. He trusted in his riches. But then God came and said, your soul will be taken from you. And the, the goods that he had stored up in the silo were no good after his death. So Christ goes and says, do not look and do not put your hope and trust. Do not idolize or worship the riches of this world. But instead, look to the Father. Do not have anxiousness. Do not worry about how are we going to be provided for, how are we going to have clothes, or how are we going to... So we're not to trust and we're not to worry. But instead, we're to look to God as our sole provider and Father that cares for us. And so he continues on with saying that we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And so he continues with this kingdom theme saying seek first the kingdom. Be perfect like your heavenly father. And or blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. So he then comes to this section, this new section that talks about the authenticity of a kingdom person. We go through, and we're going to talk about, next week we'll continue on, but this week I felt it prudent to just focus on the first six verses. Because this first six verses of Matthew 7 deal with how we approach others. How we look to others, and we're not to judge others, but we're to look for their good and focus on how can we restore a brother rather than condemn our brother. And then he continues to go on, and we'll go over these other sections next week about how an authentic kingdom person seeks good things from God. He loves his neighbor as himself. He bears good fruit, and he is known by God, and he builds his life on Christ. But tonight, 
we're going to talk about how an authentic, or authentic kingdom person approaches others in humility. So if you would turn with me in your Bible to chapter 7 of Matthew, and we're going to continue on our series of a kingdom person. So let us go ahead and read the first six verses. Judge not that you will not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck of your, your eye, where there, is a, where there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your, eye, your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. He starts out by having this, this verse that is so often used. You go and you go to someone and you bring something to their attention. You want to correct somebody or you see somebody in error. And the first response they will have is, judge not lest you be judged. Or they just take, judge not. And so we have to examine and look at these six verses and see what Christ is really saying. And to look at what does it mean to judge not, but instead to help your brother. So we will look at what it is to discern versus condemn. And so when we come in an attitude of condemnation, we often will be conceited looking down on these people instead of looking at them with compassion, needing and desiring them to be corrected. So often I, I hear, you know, I, I see someone when I, when I go to them and I start to speak scripture. I start to speak about well, this is what Christ says. This is what the law says. This is what we're called to be. In Leviticus 19, God says, Be holy, for I am holy. God is a holy God. Christ says in the Sermon on the Mount, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so when you approach people and you start talking about this call to holiness, this, this call to repent from sins, to turn away from from worldliness, their first reaction is, you can't judge me. You can't come and judge me because nobody's perfect. They say, well, nobody's perfect and we're all sinners. And so they have this attitude of just putting it off and saying, we can just excuse it because nobody's perfect. Why even try? But I would like to come back with a retort to that, that there is one that is perfect. And that was Christ Jesus. And he commands us to go and be perfect, like his heavenly Father is perfect. Paul says that if we are to 
if as we receive Christ, that we're to walk in him. Not just accept and believe, but also walk and desire to be like him. So the idea of coming and not judging somebody, there is some truth that we're not to go around pointing our fingers. Just noticing and seeing, well, this person does that wrong. How often do we see, even with children, just as an example, when you start to point out what the children has done wrong, what the child has done wrong, they'll point to their brother or sister and say, well, you should see what they did. They did something much worse than I did. And this is easy to, for us to chuckle at and think about, but it doesn't just stop there with childhood. It goes into adulthood, and we go and we start to think, well, look at what this person is doing wrong. Just like the Pharisee in the front of the synagogue. I thank God that I'm not like these sinners over here. And when you start to puff yourself up, and when you start to look at yourself better than you ought, you become conceited, looking down on other people. But instead, we're called to judge or to discern for a different purpose. Christ's purpose for coming here was to seek and to save that which is lost, to bring reconciliation to God's people, to himself, to make a way that we can be counted righteous through his works, that we're to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We're not to judge by condemnation. We're not to look to other people saying, well, this is, he's such a sinner. He's not a believer. We're so quick to go and say, well, this person, you know, he, he's, a, he's a false prophet or he is this or he is that. And, and I'm saying this because I know, because I'm guilty of doing so. How often do I find myself looking at others and looking down or, or looking for faults of others instead of turning to myself and examining myself? James 4, 11 through 12, James says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James comes in and says, wait a second, you're putting yourself at the, in the courthouse right there. You're putting yourself in the throne, saying that you're the judge. That you're the one who can say, well, this person is a sinner. This person is um, condemned to hell. This person will never be saved. Or this person um, just is a terrible evildoer. And so we often find that, even if we don't say it with our mouths, we see it sometimes. We see it and we say, especially when somebody does things evil against us, we look at them and say, oh, well, they're just... They're just an evil, wicked person. But so often we see in Scripture we're to be reminded that we also were dead in our trespasses and sins. Romans 14, verses 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, 
Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us will stand before the throne of God and give an account. But if we look and we understand if God indeed has had mercy on us and changed us, has changed our heart, has made us one of his own by his grace saving us through faith in Jesus Christ and what Christ has done, then we can stand before the Lord saying that it is the Lord who has saved me. It is not any of my own works. We're to also have mercy as God has shown mercy to us. We can't go with judgment looking and trying to put down other people. Now, this idea of not judging other people, not going and bringing condemnation to other people, is not an excusal of sin. Saying that we can't necessarily go and point somebody's sins out isn't an excuse for sin. It isn't something that we can say, well, you can't judge me. We have to look at ourselves. How often do we say, well, you can't judge me. Don't put the light on me. I'm a Christian. I'm saved by grace. Don't look at me. And so it's not an excusal or a license to sin. But it is also, it's not to be conceited in judgment. To judge and judge not, the command to judge not is often abused and misapplied. We're not to go look around being a fault finder, or as I was called once, a sin-sniffing wolf. Um, I, you're not to go around looking and examining other people's lives and saying, well, according to this chart, Lord, have mercy on you. Because all of us have a record. All of us have a bad record. And all of us deserve judgment from God. All of us deserve punishment. But by the grace of God, he saves some. The authentic kingdom person approaches others in humility by judging himself. We are to judge ourselves. We're to examine ourselves instead of looking at other people, as Christ says here. We're told that with the judgment we pronounce, we will be judged. And with the measure that we used, it will be measured to us. And so why do we see the speck that is in our brother's eye, but we do not notice the log that is in our own eye? So we're to look at our own eyes and see, are we blinded by the sin we have? Are we blinded by what we're doing? Instead, we're ignoring our sin, and, it's, and we're taking the light off of ourselves and saying, well, look at this person. And I'm not sure, and I, I don't know, this is just, um, I've never seen any truth to this as much as just 
musing, but I've heard it said before, the speck and the log are of the same substance. So easy when we have sins that are in our lives, we have things that we're struggling with, things that we um, deal with every day, whether they're besetting sins or, or sins of uh, commission, whether we're going and doing them, we look at other people and we notice the sin that we have in our own heart. And we see, and we can recognize it so easily. And we point it out. We point out, look at that speck. Hey, you got something in your eye. Let me come and pluck it out. You know, and, and you're in there jamming your fingers, trying to clean this guy's eyes out. But how can you see clearly to help somebody when you yourself are blinded by the log, the sin, the great sin that is in your life? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5 through 7, Paul says to examine yourselves, to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that, Christ, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong, that not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. Paul is admitting, saying, well, our lifestyle might not seem as though we're, we're on the right track. We all do stumble. But when we do stumble, the Lord's right hand upholds us. That we're counted righteous through what Christ has done for us. We're counted righteous by his work. But we're indeed called to look to ourselves, look at ourselves and examine, are we in the faith? Are we walking daily in the Spirit? Second Peter 1.10, Peter says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. We're called to examine and confirm. We're to walk in the one, we're to walk in Christ, the one we receive. Romans 12, verse 3. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We're called throughout Scripture to examine ourselves, to look at ourselves and see where are we? You know, have we even, you know, it's not necessarily even, you know, examine yourself of sin, but just make sure even more than that, examine yourself to see if you indeed you're in Christ. And after examining ourselves, we can turn and repent of our sin and we can come beside our brother and guide them and reprove them with gentleness and love. So when we see others with, with sin, is our intention or our motivation to just point out what they're doing wrong or is it to bring them back and bring them to reconciliation? So an authentic kingdom person approaches others in humility by judging 
for the purpose of correction. We're to look and discern if other people have sinned. We're to discern if somebody is stumbling. But when we see that, what is our motivation? To make ourselves look better, to exalt ourselves? Or is it to go and correct the other person because you love them? Is it out of compassion that we want to go and correct somebody? When we come across those who have sin, those who are confessing their sins to us, or that we see in open sin, or that we come to find out what they're doing, we're to come beside them. Back into Matthew 7, you hypocrite, verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We're to look at other people, but first we're to examine ourselves. We're to have mercy on other people as God has had mercy on us. And so I'd like to talk about some of these ways of correction and how we're to go in gentleness, meekness, being patient, loving, that we're to look to others as better than ourselves. Not looking at ourselves as someone who is more righteous than others, but instead looking at somebody that has overcome these sins and wants a brother to overcome them also. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, talking about a brother sinning against us. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the, to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now this is when Christ is speaking about church discipline, and this goes to an extreme, and this is to be used very, very spare, sparingly. Not that we should just take something and go forth and, and just start throwing people out of the church. But notice the first step. You have to go to them alone. You have to be relational about it. And say, well, listen, you, you know, this has happened. I was hurt by this. Or this has happened, and you have done this against me, more than likely, maybe they're not even aware of what they've done. But you're to go to them. And if indeed your brother is forgiving, and you're forgiving, and you go and you, you go to each other, that bond would be even made stronger. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You have pulled him out of the, the wrong path, and led him back onto the path of righteousness. But if he does not listen, to bring two or others along with you. And these two, one or, one or two others are ones who know about this. And so this is just going on and building on that if there's somebody who's willing not to be repenting of their sin, then 
how can you have fellowship with them? But at the same time, this is a gradual process that to be filled with grace, filled with gentleness and patience. James 5, verses 19 through 20, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back, a sinner from his wandering, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's the motivation. The motivation is to bring them back and save them their souls from death. That if they wander from the truth, that if they look at uh, erring on the gospel or erring on the truth, or they're just starting to think, well, this Bible just isn't for me, or if they're just continuing on with um, bitterness or, or any kind of malice against each other, that if they're just continually going on with a hard heart, you're to come and bring them back. You're to go with gentleness, come beside them. But if we're having a log in our eye, if we are full of sin, if we ourselves are blinded and deceived by what we're doing, how can we go help? But instead, we're going to go and harden his heart. We're going to cause a rift. We're going to cause division. We're going to cause all sorts of trouble when we go in a bad attitude towards somebody, bringing condemnation, looking down at them. We must approach others in humility, in correction, especially. This is a serious matter. That it's a matter of someone erring from the truth, or wandering out, or going without. We're to bring them back so they can have fellowship. Luke 17, verses 3 through 4. Pay attention to yourselves, Christ says. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. We're called to have a forgiving heart. That we're to want reconciliation. We want to be restored with our brother. And so... I remember in the Gospels when they asked, well, seven times? What about, and Christ says, seven times 70 times. And they, Christ doesn't mean just forgive somebody 490 times. Like you have your ticker, say, well, you know, 489, you better not do this again to me. But instead, what Christ is saying in, in, with the Jews, that the numbers mean something, and seven means completion. And then the 49th year, there's a year of Jubilee, the seventh um, of the seventh and so he's going on and saying that to a total completion we're to forgive others because when we approach God seeking mercy from him how many of our sins did he forgive the one who is in heaven if he indeed has forgiven us he has forgiven us of all so we should not be like the greedy servant who is forgiven by his master the debts but then goes out and tries to find debt or tries to get the debt paid from those who owed him we're not to go look for vengeance or people to repay us but instead 
We're to go and have a forgiving heart as Christ forgave us. Galatians 6, 1 through 4. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one of us test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. We're to, one, notice this, you who are spiritual, and if you are full of yourself, if you're blinded by your sin, if you're always focused on yourself and exalting yourself and not coming in humility, walking in the spirit, you have no business correcting somebody. But if you're walking in humility and you're looking to Christ, you who are spiritual should restore him who is caught in a transgression. But we're also, as we're going and correcting them, to keep watch of ourselves that we would be tempted to sin. Instead, we're to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. What is that law of Christ? The law of Christ is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you're to love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to bear their burdens. You're going to seek out reconciliation. You're going to seek to keep them out of the pit, out of transgressions, out of sins, out of darkness. We're to want to see our brothers seek the Lord, our brothers and sisters. But when they don't, when they don't receive you, and as Christ said when he was bringing up how we go through church discipline, if they do not answer to you, they do not answer to the one or two, they do not answer to the church, and they just refuse to repent, and they refuse to change their ways, and they're stubborn, what are we to do then? He said that we're to treat him as a Gentile. Just treat him like any other unbeliever. Now, this does not mean we're to treat him poorly, but we're to love everybody. We just cannot have fellowship with them. So when Christ ends this section here in verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. When you're going in gentleness to correct somebody, when you're going in gentleness to say, repent, turn to Christ, for he's the one who saves. You're in desperate need of Christ. And they say, no, I don't believe you. I don't want to hear it. I don't want it. What is holy is the truth. What is holy is the word of God. What is holy is the gospel. And so, so often we sometimes want to write people off. But when these, it should get to a point where these people absolutely don't want to do anything with you. 
We're not to harden their hearts. We're not to keep going and being this stumbling block and just railing them and saying, turn to Christ, you're a sinner. We're not to, as somebody has said, you know, and I've heard it before, be a Bible thumper. You know, the, the, the Bible doesn't do any good just hitting somebody over the head with it. We have to approach people in love and gentleness and patience. And so how did the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, deal with this? When they went and they were preaching and the gospel was spreading throughout the Gentiles and all of these people were accepting it except the Pharisees and the Jews looked at them and they just had, they, they rejected it and said, we will not believe you. Acts 13, 49 through 51. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. We're to shake off the dust and not walk away, not revile, or not revile back against them, but just walk away. Walk away in peace. Live peaceable among all men as you can. Because otherwise we're going to cause more corruption. We're going to make them angry. We're going to cause them and provoke them to anger and more sin. So let us not be a cause of somebody going and sinning even more. He mentions dogs. Do not give dogs what is holy. A dog is someone who is continually returning to their own vomit. As Proverbs 26.11 says, dogs who return to their own vomit. Peter then uh, quotes this. Matthew 10.14, Christ said that if when you go around and you go preach the gospel... And they don't receive you, dust off your feet and move on. This is the teaching that we must have, we must listen to, that we're to have discernment rather than condemnation, rather than judgment, that we're to discern what other people are doing who are within the church, because not because we're there to keep track of them or be their judge or be their masters, but instead, we're to see and keep those who were in the, the, the pasture, within the flock, and make sure that they don't wander off because we love them. So judgment in the way of loving one another, there is a right way to judge. But when we come and look down on others and we have condemnation and we look down at what they've done and compare ourselves, exalting ourselves, we know that everybody will have an account before God. So we must do what is right and fulfill the law of Christ, which is love one another. We must seek out the purpose of with the purpose of reconciliation. We must look to go beside our brothers coming beside them, bearing their burdens, and pulling out their specks only before we have examined ourselves. So an authentic 
kingdom person is one who has per, who approaches others in humility. And humility is looking up to other people. Considering others' interests is more important than yourselves. Considering others more important than yourselves. Not thinking too highly of yourself. If you think you're something, then you deceive yourself. For you're nothing. So we're to look and know that it's God alone who saves. And if indeed we're a kingdom person, our only right to a citizenship to the kingdom is through what Christ Jesus has done for us. We are owed nothing but sin, but, but, but punishment. We're owed nothing but death. But by God's mercy and richness of love, he saves us. So we're to look to others with that same love, bringing reconciliation and forgiveness. So we're not to judge others in a condemnation, but we're to go and restore our brothers and sisters. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this word. Lord, this is heavy and convicting, knowing that we all go and point the finger at other people. Out of our own pride, we want to exalt ourselves or make ourselves look better, so we often point out what is wrong with others because we fear being exposed. But Lord, blessed is the ones whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Lord, I pray that we would go and confess our sins to you, that we would examine ourselves and repent so that we would be ready to restore our brothers, ready to come humbly and patiently, lovingly to go and, and bring the truth to those who are in need. Not to be conceited, looking down on other people, but that we would do it, do it in the law of Christ, which is love. I pray that you would make it so, conform us to the image of your Son, that we would be compassionate. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us in person. Thank you for joining us online. Have a great night.